Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is a message that I gave on Sunday morning, March 6th, 2022, from the book of Colossians in chapter 3. We have been talking over the past few weeks um, about getting dressed because there are a few places in the scriptures where the Bible tells you to get dressed in things that are not clothes, like sometimes attitudes, sometimes attributes, traits, one time even a person, get dressed like this. And I think that's a really interesting thing because for most of us, we probably think, you know, my personality, my traits, my attributes, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty set in, and if there are some things I need to change, that's gonna take some time, and it's gonna take some work, and all of that's true, but funnily, the Bible just kind of says, why don't you just put it on? Like you put on one shirt over another. Why don't you just put this on like you grab that jacket and put it on? Just get dressed in it. So I wanted to look at a few of those, and today, we're gonna look at this one in uh, Colossians chapter three, and, okay, it comes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys have your fun. This is, <laughs> we're going to start in verse 12. Uh, Therefore, as God's chosen people, this is the Apostle Paul writing to a church in Colossae, in the city of Colossae. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Lord Jesus, thank you for these words. I'm asking that you would help us to understand them, and I'm asking that you would make us open, just wide open to receive whatever you have for us, and help me to keep it simple and clear. We love you, and we thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay. Paul gives us an outfit to wear, and I don't know about you, but I thought there's a lot of articles of clothing here that we're supposed to put on. This is a complex outfit. Put on compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another, forgive one another, and over all of it, put on this big top coat of love, which binds it all together in perfect unity. This is your outfit you're supposed to put on. And I'm like, man, that's a lot. Um, I was talking to Christy earlier this week and she was saying that she read this article that said, the number one thing that you can do to de-stress your potential day, like de-stress the morning of it, is to the night before pick out what you're going to wear. Does anybody do this to de-stress your morning? Like I'm going to go ahead and pick it out because otherwise I'm going to go through the whole closet. I'm going to put that on and take it off and this on. I don't like it. I don't like how it's laying, whatever it is. I mean, for me, I just kind of grab some stuff and put it on and head out the door. But apparently that's a really good way to de-stress your morning is to go ahead and pick out the whole ensemble after, you know, before you go to bed. And then when you wake up, you're ready to roll. I don't really do that, but I was thinking about the thing that I do that's similar to that, which is when I, like when it's in the winter, for instance, I check the weather before I go to bed to see what the temperature is going to be in the morning so that I know how much running gear I have to wear before I go on my run. Because like how you're dressed sometimes determines what you're going to do or what you're going to do determines how you, how you get dressed. So like what I would wear to a friend's wedding is not what I would wear if I'm going to go on a run. 
And what I would wear on a run in June or July is not what I'm going to wear on a run in January. And so the night before I'm going to run in the winter, I'll check the temperature because I have this like, I've got this thing of like, just like certain thresholds of temperature. I know how many layers of clothing I need. And my runners, you know what I'm talking about. So like if it's, if it's in the 20s or the teens, then I need it all. I need the tights. I need the mittens, and y'all mittens are better than gloves because your fingers stay together and they just keep heating each other up. It's so great. I need the beanie covering my ears. I need several sweatshirts. I need it all. I need all the things. And so if it's going to be 22 degrees, then I'm wearing everything and I get all that stuff out so I can just wake up in the morning and just mutter under my breath as I put it all on to go run because it's going to be cold out there. Okay. When you were coming up, did you ever have the thing where you wanted to walk out of the house with like just a t-shirt and shorts and your mother would be like, go put a jacket on. <laughs> Do you realize how cold it is out there? And you're like, I don't want to put a jacket on. I'm going to rock this t-shirt right here. And, there, and she was like, go put a jacket on. I'm not having this conversation right now. It's cold outside. Okay, so here's my theory is, I think that this outfit that Paul is describing in Colossians 3, it's his way of saying, you need to put this on because it's peopley outside. <laughs> like in the same way that you got to wear a lot of clothes when it's cold outside, I got to wear a lot of stuff when I run in the cold. You got to wear a lot of stuff when it's peopley outside. Like he's saying, when you go to work, there's going to be people there. I don't know if you realize that. And, and for some of you, it's like, it's not even work. It's just like, as soon as I get in the hallway, it's peopley enough in the house. Like, as soon as you throw the covers off, it's peopley out there. You got some clothes you got to put on. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another. And over the whole thing, put on this top coat of love that binds it all together, he says, in perfect unity. Okay, what I want to do for a minute is just kind of talk about some of those words. Most of you guys know that the New Testament was not written in English. English did not exist yet. And that was a simpler time because English is stupid. But, it, and those of us who are doing Wordle every day, you're like, English is the dumbest thing in the world. But when, when Paul wrote this letter, English didn't exist. He wrote it in the Greek language. So I want to talk about what some of these words are, break them down a little bit. So he says, put on compassion. So this word compassion, it's a word that really means like pity. It means like, feel for people, like feel for them in your gut. Like it's a word that a lot of times in the New Testament is translated mercy, like in Romans chapter 12. And he says, you know, when you consider the mercy that God has had on you, the mercies of God, then you should give your whole self to him. That kind of mercy. Um, it's, it's one of these things where I, I have this phrase caught in my head all week when I've been thinking about this, that Christy always says, my wife got this phrase from a TV show that she likes, and that is, when someone is struggling to function, you shorten that down to strug to funk. Have you guys heard this before? This is one of Christy's favorite phrases. Like, oh baby, you're strug to funk today. And I'm like, I am strug to funk. And, and look, the thing that you need to consider is when you throw the covers back, it's going to be peopley out there in the hallway, in the, in the office, at the school, whatever it is. And the thing is, no matter how buttoned up people look, they are strug to funk in ways you can't even imagine. Amen? Amen. People are struggling more than you think. And Paul's saying what you need is you need to have mercy on people. Have pity on them. 
People are struggling to funk out there. So put on mercy, put on pity, feel for them deeply. He says, put on kindness. And of course, you know what kindness means. I mean, you know when somebody's being kind with you and when they're being mean to you. But what's really, really cool is when you look at the word that we've translated kindness in the original language, when you just look at it, it looks almost exactly, almost to the letter, it looks almost exactly like the Greek word for Christ. Like in the original language, when we talk about Jesus Christ, Christ is his title, the king. That word in Greek is Christos. It's like K-R-I-S-T-O-S, if you were to put it in our, in our letters. Well, this word for kindness looks almost exactly like it. There's only one letter that's different. Instead of Christos, it's Christos. And a lot of smart people that know a whole lot more about the Bible than I do think that that is a word that they basically fit. To talk about kindness, they're like, we're going to take the word for Christ and make it like almost that because the epitome of kindness is just how Jesus is with people. It's almost like the word kindness means be Jesus-y to people. Be merciful because people are struggling to funk. Be Jesus-y with people. He goes on to say, put on humility. And we talked about this last week. Humility doesn't mean like, if you're, if you're being humble, that doesn't mean that you think that you're worthless or you're bad and you should feel bad about that. That's not what it means. It literally just means low. Like put yourself low, put yourself under somebody else. Make somebody else's priorities higher than yours. Serve people, make yourself low. It's a word that Jesus used about himself. There's only one place in the whole Bible that Jesus describes his own personality. And he says, I am gentle and lowly, humble of heart. And it's that word. And the other word that he used to describe himself is the next word that Paul says to put on in this little outfit. Outfit. He says, put on humility and put on gentleness, just like Jesus described himself. The word gentle means sweet. Be sweet. It's a word that also means like soft, as opposed to like biting and harsh. And you know what it's like when somebody treats you with sweetness instead of harshness. And he's like, you should put that on. Have pity on people because they're struggling to funk. Be Jesus-y with people. Make yourself low and be sweet, not harsh. And if you're thinking, all these words are describing like really like what Jesus is like. Oh yeah, baby, there's some foreshadowing. Hang in there. Okay, so gentleness and humility and, and kindness and compassion. Put all those things on. He says, put on patience. That's a... In, in the original language, this is a compound word. They took the word for long and they took the word for to blow up, like rage. We, other places, that word is translated rage. It's, it's actually where we get the word thermal. Like if you've ever feel like, I went off on that dude and I was thermonuclear. It's like, just like that word, to blow up and then take the word long and stick it in front of there. And that's what the word patience means. In other words, make sure it takes a long time for you to get to that point. Make sure it takes a whole heck of a lot for you to get to the place where you blow up. It's a word that's used about Jesus. Hint, hint. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, I was the worst person who has ever lived. I, I am the worst person who's ever lived. And I believe firmly that Jesus saved me just to demonstrate how awesome his saving power is because I'm the worst. So if he saved me, he can save you. He says, he saved me to demonstrate his boundless patience. And it's that word, long blow up. 
It just takes him a long time to blow up. The proof's in the pudding. He saved me, so y'all are fine. He says, bear with people. It's a, it's a word that just means to put up with people. Like if somebody, naturally, they just annoy you, or they just wear you out, or they just grate on every last nerve. He's like, yeah, I know, but like put up with them. It's a word that Jesus used one time with his disciples when he said, he was like, y'all, I mean, how long am I going to put up with y'all? And he's going on like 2,000 years and counting, putting up with his kids. I mean, he's pretty good at it. He says, forgive one another as Christ forgave you. And sometimes in the New Testament, the word for forgive is the, is the same word they use for divorce. And it means like, if somebody did something bad, like just, just untie it, just let it go. Like that's the word for forgive. But that's not this one. This one, when he says, forgive as Christ forgave you, it's just the word grace, but turned into a verb, gracem. That's what the word is. Like when somebody has a super soaker and they hit you with it, they douse you with water. He's like, yeah, douse them with grace. Just like fill your super soaker up with grace and just grace them. That's what that word means. And then over the whole thing, he says, wrap the whole thing up in love. And it's a special kind of love. It's a, this word is so cool. It's basically when people saw the love of Jesus and they were trying to write about it, they were like, we can't just use the word love because the way he loves is like the way that nobody else loves. We need a new word for it. I experienced this, I've experienced this twice, needing a new word for something. When I was a freshman in college, I got to go to China with Christy to see where she grew up, to see her little hometown and everything. And her hometown was this island. The, it was like a three and a half mile perimeter. It's tiny. No vehicles allowed on the place at all. Like these 800 year old cobblestone streets with one little market you go to every day to get your food. And every single day for breakfast, we would get, we would make cinnamon toast with bread we got from this little market and fresh mango. And I don't know if any of y'all have ever been close, like really super close to the equator. The mango is different, y'all. It just hits different. I know Katie knows what I'm talking about. In fact, I never even liked mango. And Christy was like, you need to try this. And I was like, I'm just not like a mango guy. And she was like, you're about to be. And I put it in my mouth and I was like, oh, we need a different word for that. That's a different thing right there. So like whatever we get in the United States in Tennessee, that ain't mango. That's officially now, that's like, like fango, fake mango. <laughs> we need a new word. The other time this happened was when Thomas and I we're in Barcelona. How many years ago was that T? He's out there. Um, like a, a bunch of years ago, Thomas and I got to go to Barcelona with Young Life Spain. And we had a pizza in this place called Sports Bar. Literally, that's what it was called, Sports Bar. It took him three minutes to make it. And as soon as I put it in my mouth, I was like, oh, we need a new word for pizza in the United States because that's the best thing I've ever eaten in my entire life. And basically, when they saw the love of Jesus, they were like, we can't just call it love because what he does is so different. And so they're like, what are you going to call it? So they, they rooted around on a top shelf and they found some old word that nobody really used. It kind of meant like to care about or something. Nobody used it anymore. So they grabbed it and they dusted it off and they were like, we're going to call it that. And from now on, the love of Jesus is that. And I was thinking this week just about the love of Jesus and how the love of Jesus has this whole outfit in it. Like the compassion, the kindness, the humility, the gentleness, the patience, the way he would put up with people, the way he would throw grace down on people. His love had it all. And I was like, how could his love do all that? And I realized one thing, I mean, there's a million things that, that are special about the love of Jesus. But one thing that I was thinking about this week that is really special about the love of Jesus and the fact that it has all those things in it is this. Jesus 
never reduced anybody down to one thing. Jesus never reduced anybody down to one moment, one thing they did, or one label, or one whatever. Now, I need y'all's help on this because TBH, y'all been a little bit quiet. So I need, I'm going to need some help on this question. So we're in church, so I'm going to say, let's be honest about it. How many of you, when your love for somebody just, you're done, like it hits the rail, like we're, we're, we're done there. I'm, I'm not going to treat you with love. I'm now treating you with something else. How many of you, um, if you look at that, you realize in some way that's because I reduced them down to one moment and I can't get over it. How many of you, like, how many of you have experienced this? That when somebody you know stops loving you, it's because they've reduced you down to one little thing. Anybody had that happen? The love of Jesus never did that. He never did that. I was thinking about this. And uh, there's a place in Luke chapter 5 where Luke says that Jesus saw a tax collector named Levi or Matthew, the guy that was one of the 12 disciples and wrote the gospel of Matthew. Luke says he saw a tax collector. And it's like, you're a tax collector. It's like, yeah, you're bad. You're like the worst of the worst. This is your label. You're the tax collector. We all hate you. This is your bad thing that you've done. And what's really interesting is when Matthew tells his own story in his gospel, he doesn't say Jesus saw a tax collector. You know what he says? He says Jesus saw a man. Isn't that kind? Jesus didn't just see a tax collector. He didn't see the one thing that makes you bad. He saw a man. In other words, Jesus saw that there's more to this guy behind the thing that made him bad. There's more to everybody behind the thing that makes them bad. Amen? There's another place in Luke chapter 5 where Luke says, a guy with leprosy goes up to Jesus and falls down at his feet. And he says he didn't just have leprosy. It says he was covered in leprosy. And we find out from the Apostle Paul in another place that Luke was a doctor. And so if anybody has the right to talk about it, this dude does. And he says this guy was covered in it. Now, when somebody had leprosy, they basically just became an outsider from society. Nobody wants to see you. Nobody wants to be around you. You are gross. You're contagious. Don't come here. And this guy was like more gross than everybody, covered in leprosy, Luke says. And he falls down at the feet of Jesus. And he says, I think that you could heal me. I don't know if you'd want to. I know you can. I don't know if you care. And Jesus said, not only do I want to, not only can I, but I, I am willing. I want to. And not only did he want to, it said he not only healed him, but reached out and touched him. He put his hands on this guy. Everybody else thinks he's gross. Everybody else tells him to get out. And Jesus puts his hands on him. Why? Because there's more to this guy than just the thing that makes him gross. There was more to you before you became something that nobody wanted to be around. There's more to you behind the thing that makes you bad. Two chapters later, Luke chapter 7, Jesus is at a dinner party that this guy threw for him. And this girl gate crashes the dinner party. And she had had a sexual history that everybody else looked down on and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, and it was bad and it was out of bounds and the whole deal. And, but she had had an encounter with Jesus where he had like, he had assured, you, or assured her like, you and I are good. And she was so thankful for that that she just like, she didn't even care about the party or the rules or the whatever. She falls down at Jesus' feet. She starts anointing his feet with this perfume, this expensive perfume. And then she's just so overwhelmed that she's weeping all over his feet. She's rubbing the, the oil and her tears and everything, takes her hair down and she's drying his feet off with her hair. And the guy that threw the dinner party looks at Jesus and thinks to himself, 
if he was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman she is, that she is a what? Anybody remember? A sinner. That's what he said. A sinner. And Jesus says, hey, bro, uh, P.S., I can read minds. Um, I need to ask you a question. Who loves the most? Somebody that's been forgiven a little bit or somebody that's been forgiven a lot? And he's like, well, I guess the person that's been forgiven a lot. And he's like, yeah, she loves the most because she knows that she needed help and the love of God and she knows she's got it. And she loves me and I love her. And if you have a problem with that, we can go talk about it in the parking lot. And the thing is, is that Jesus knew that there's more to her than just the thing that made her a sinner. And there's more after that. There's more in her story after the thing that made her wrong. He knows that for every single person, and if you have been waiting to deploy your amen, here it comes. There's more to every single person behind what made them bad. Amen? There is more before your story besides the thing that made you gross and outside of what people want. Amen? And there is more for you after the thing that made you wrong. Amen? Amen. The love of Jesus never reduced anybody down to one little thing. And that's because his love had all this pity and mercy and gentleness, this softness, this sweetness and patience in it. And Paul says, okay, put that outfit on. And I'm like, that sounds really cool. Only problem is, I can't even remember the whole outfit, much, much less put it on. By the way, I got some people in my life, I don't want to put that outfit on. I want to be mad about this thing. But like, even if I did want to put it on, I can't even remember what it was. How many people right now could get within 80%? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. What was the one? It's a big list. It's a big outfit. I mean, yeah, there's the top coat of love, and it's really the accent piece that sets the whole thing off. But like, it's a lot of pieces. It's a lot to remember. Okay, so I've got a thing that I want to do real quick that I think is going to simplify this whole thing and, and help us figure out how to do it. And that is, we're going to take a break, and I want to tell you why Paul wrote the book of Colossians in the first place. We so far have grabbed a piece of chapter 3 and talked about it. But why did he write this, this letter in the first place to the people at the church in Colossae? Okay, when Paul was in the city of Ephesus, which is right next door to Colossae, um, when he was in the city of Ephesus, he started a church there. And that's really in the ministry of Paul where he realized big cities are like the way to share the, the message of Jesus because there's like a million people everywhere and you tell somebody and then they tell all their neighbors and friends in the apartment building and before you know it, you have this big old church and, and there's little churches happening all over the place, little small groups, cities are awesome. Plus like cities, you know, they have better coffee shops and the whole thing. So like he was in Ephesus, started this church. Well, Somebody probably from that place went over and started the one in Colossae and he knew some of those folks and some of them knew him. Anyway, uh, a few years later, Paul is under house arrest in the city of Rome because cities are the way to go. So he's like, I'll go to the biggest honking city on this whole planet, you know. So he's there, but he gets arrested. And then a dude from the church in Colossae was there in Rome with Paul and they're hanging out and talking and everything. And he says, Paul, I need to tell you something. How's the church in Colossae going? He's like, well, it's going okay, but something bad has happened. What? Well, there's some people who have come into the fellowship of this church who are saying some things that are having a weird impact on the message of Jesus. And that's where Paul's like, mm, you just tripped all my wires, baby. The message of Jesus has to stay the message of Jesus because it's the good news. It's how people get saved. It's how people get reconciled to God and have a relationship with him in the first place. We got to keep the message the message. 
And this dude, his name is Epaphras, is like, okay, well, here's what's happening. There are some people who have come into our fellowship who are like, yeah, yeah, Jesus is great. And Jesus died for your sins and everything. That's all awesome. But if you really want to turn it up and you really want to have an awesome life, you should follow all the rules of Moses in the Old Testament. And people were like, oh. Oh, so like, uh, so like the special holidays? Yep, you got to keep the special holidays. And the special diet? Yes, you have to keep the special diet. And if you're a dude, like the special surgery? Yes, you got to do the special surgery if you're a dude. And it's like, okay, um, it's like the, Jesus dying for you, that's all great. But you also have to discipline yourself and by the power of your will, keep all the rules and then God will be pleased with you. And that's where Paul's like, uh-uh, I know you did not add that. And so he's already grabbing parchment. He's like, let me just start. He's like, hold on, before you start the letter, there's another group of people who are saying this other thing. They're saying, not like follow the rules, but we have, by the powers of deduction or by the powers of our, of our research or by mystical secrets, we have found amazing secrets that if you do them, if you tap into them, they will change your life forever. How to be in the moment how to actualize yourself, uh, like mystical secrets that you can't just know, just, I mean, the Jesus part is great and he died for your sins and everything, but we found some secrets, secrets, secrets. And if you do them, then your life will really turn up. Um, I was looking this week, I just, just wanted to see if the book of Colossians is still relevant, you know, so, um, so I went on Amazon and I typed in self-help and then I refined my search with the word secrets. 20,000 books. There are 20,000 books available under this. The secrets of self-actualization and the, there, I mean, you can't imagine how many secrets are out there that if you just did this, it'll really turn your life up. So Paul wrote the letter, of, the letter to the church at Colossae to say to these people, I know that people have been telling you you gotta follow the special holidays and the special diet and the special surgery and all the rules, and you gotta be disciplined and do it right. And I know some other people are telling you there's special mystical secrets and days and powers and angels and the whole thing, and if you could tap into that. I'm here to tell you this. There's just Jesus. That's it. It's just Jesus. That's it. That's your hope. That's the whole thing. I know some people have been telling you that our religion is like a fast food restaurant. And yeah, the cheeseburger's great, but don't you want the big fries? Yes, I do. And don't you want the milkshake and the nugs on the side? And what Paul's saying to you is, knowing Jesus is not a fast food restaurant, okay? You do not have to supersize this thing. What he said in the book of Colossians is, he is the firstborn over all creation. He is the one who made everything. He is the one who sustains everything. It's just like these ladies read to us earlier. He is the one who holds it all together, who rescued us by giving his life and spilling his blood for us. And here is the amazing, if you want a mystery, here it is, the whole thing. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's it. This is all you need to understand is that almighty God who made the world came down here and lived as a human being in the person of Jesus. He gave his life to take your place, to pay for all of your wrong so that you never have to be punished or, or be in the penalty box ever again. And he offers you a free gift. I will be in a relationship with you where I pay for everything and you and I are all right forever, no matter what. And then you have a place in heaven. Don't you want that? Yes, please, I do. Thank you, Jesus. I'll take it. 
And he's like, it's completely free and you can just have it. And here's the cool thing. I, he's saying, Jesus didn't just die for you. He actually rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. And everybody who says yes to that gift, and by the way, if you never have, you can right now. You can just say, I super need that. I super want it. I take it. And as soon as you do that, Jesus who died for you, who was risen from the dead, ascended into heaven, he comes and lives inside you through his spirit. That's it. The whole, that's what Paul was saying in the book of Colossians. Jesus who died for you lives, is alive inside you right now. Which means you don't have to be super disciplined and grit your teeth and follow all the rules or know all the mystical secrets to be able to really turn this thing up. No, you, all you have to do is turn your attention to Jesus. He lives in your heart right now. You got a relationship where you're struggling? Ask him, hey Jesus, please help me with this. You got a meeting you got to go into that you know is going to suck before you go into it? Jesus, go with me into this. You're going to throw the covers back and it's going to be peopley out there in the rest of your day. Lord, please get me dressed for this. This incredibly complex outfit put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, like put up with and throw grace down on and put love, the love of Jesus over the whole thing. Lord, would you please get me dressed with that? You're alive with me right now. It's not that you have to conjure up anything or that you have to kick anything off. He already loves like that and he lives in you. Isn't that cool? He already loves that person you're having a hard time loving. I was thinking this week about when our kids were little and we used to have a, um, we used to have a pass to the Knoxville Zoo. So we could just go whenever we wanted to, which was great. It's like everybody's struggling. We can't think of what to do. There's a meltdown. Let's just go to the zoo and like just run. It's everything's gonna be fine. But when you go to the zoo, every now and then you see that mom that has the, uh, that has the kid leash. Have y'all seen this? Like she's got the thing around her wrist and then there's the old school telephone cord and phones used to have cords. And um, sounds weird. But then like there was old school telephone cord and then it attached to the toddler. And then the toddler had the cute little shoes and the gorgeous little outfit and the little backpack and everything and the pigtails and stuff attached to the mom the whole day. A couple things about the toddler at the zoo. One, that child did not dress herself. She did not pick out that outfit. She did not put on those cute little Velcro shoes or do those pigtails. I've done a lot of pigtails. I'm telling you, she did not do it by herself. And she's going to be attached to mom the whole day. Somebody else dressed her. Somebody else is going to be with her the whole day. It's peopley out there, y'all. But here's the good news. Somebody is with you all day. Somebody else can get you dressed. He already loves them. He already has mercy on him. He's already patient. He already is not seeing them for their worst moment or their worst thing. All you have to do. And, and my thing for us is, my practical thing, and it's what I've been thinking about and working on all day long, is just leaning into, tapping into this unlimited resource of power and acceptance and possibility and compassion, which is this. Christ is in you right now. The hope of glory. So here's the way I've been doing it. And if you have a different method, hook me up. I'm, I'm, I'm game. Is when I realize that I haven't been like, I just haven't been experiencing it very much, I literally just stop whatever I'm doing and I just say, Jesus. I just say his name. And I just make myself aware again, I am not alone in this room. I am not alone in this heart. I am not alone in this conversation or in this relationship. The one who loves them is with me. 
Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning and thank you for um, the family of God and thank you for the fact that I am not navigating my life by myself, but that I have at my disposal an unlimited resource of love like I can't imagine. And I don't have to, <laughs> I don't have to turn this thing up with a bunch of rules with my own willpower, with a bunch of mystical secrets, all I have to do is turn to you because it's just you. You're the secret. You're the mystery. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Help us to, help us to tap in, to turn our attention to you and to love being yours and being with you all week this week. We love you and thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Living wise.